all welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing here on Sunday evening. Joining me from New York City is Tim Bontemps. Welcome to the Hoop Collective on uh, ESPN2, Mr. Bontemps. <laughs> Hello, Brian. Appreciate you having your, me, man. Your first time on the Hoop Collective ESPN2. Yes. <laughs> special version. Special version yeah. with a special guest who I'm very but excited our, to. Our heart is not Van still... McMahon. Right. I'm sorry. I don't know who that is. Uh, our heart is still with our podcast <laughs> listeners who are taking this in as normal. Joining us uh, from here in Los Angeles, where I am, where the weather is absolutely horrific. And by the time this pod runs on, you know, audio and TV, it's still going to be horrific, according to the forecast. Om Young Masuk. I'll have to do my best, Ben McMahon. Howdy, folks, because uh, I'm sure he's still being yelled at by Luka Doncic or Jason Kidd. <laughs> or somebody else. There's always somebody <laughs> mad at McMahon. Okay, so um, I really would like to not lead this uh, show off talking about the Lakers, but I am fascinated by the passive-aggressive theater that we've got going on here with LeBron and the Lakers. And not only... Is he in full LeBron trade deadline special? I mean, this is becoming as standard for the first week of February as Puxatani Phil, where LeBron is, you know, being passive aggressive against his team trying to force a trade. I can't help it. I can't help but be drawn in by it with the emojis and the passive aggressive interviews and out of out of the whole LeBron bag of tricks, leaving the court at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. Wearing the Knicks towel, you know, like <laughs> this is the brilliance of, I mean, but by the way, he also was like subtweeting and well, talking wait, about- wait, 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 Bontos, correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, from my time at Madison Square Garden, though, the towels they do give out to even the road teams are these Nick towels. So if he was going to get have, if he had a towel, it would be a Nick towel. I would say his outfit that he wore walking into Madison Square Garden was interesting choice of colorway. It looked like the Nick colorway. He was wearing orange shoes and he had like this basically, I think it was like a Louis Vuitton jacket that looked very Nick bluish. Well, it wasn't as blue and orange as Stephen A's get up on Saturday night from the <laughs> court side where Stephen A was very fired up, very ready to, to cheer on the Knicks to what he thought was going to be a 10 straight win. And look, to me, you look at those 72 hours, right? Lakers are in Boston on Thursday. LeBron's about to play his 7 millionth game against the Celtics. Then all of a sudden, he's not sitting at home in the wake of hourglass emoji tweets. The B team goes out and beats the best team in the league. He then comes to New York, has a press conference Saturday morning, refuses to say if he's going to re-sign with the Lakers, refuses to talk about his tweet, then goes out in the game. He sits almost the, the last four minutes of the first half Dave McMenamin, our colleague, was sitting next to me. We were wondering if they were going to go back to the 32-minute-ish limit. Remember that from the beginning of the season? LeBron's going to play 32 minutes a game. That lasted for like 90 seconds. It lasted 32 minutes. Yes. <laughs> then he went beyond it. Well, then yeah. he plays all but 50 seconds of the second half, is fantastic in the fourth quarter. Just Yeah, they're really the worried Knicks. about that ankle tendinopathy. Right. Uh, takes the Knicks him. out. Yeah. That's right. Takes the Knicks out in the fourth quarter at the Garden. Jalen Brunson has been the hottest player in the league, completely helps totally shut him down. Knicks obviously had a bunch of guys out, but still totally threw everything at him, shut him down, wins the game, and then does the interview on the court with the towel. I mean, it was just a masterclass Look, performance all the way right. around from LeBron over the past several days. Obviously, LeBron often wears towels, okay? And this is why it's so brilliant, because he has perfect deniability. He can be like, Oh, I yeah, was like just, I said, everybody gets the towel. What's the big I, deal? I, I just put a towel around my around my shoulders. What are you talking <laughs> about? You guys are out of your mind. But LeBron, this is what he excels at. He computes all this stuff. Of course, he was cognizant and aware that he was putting on a towel that said New York Knicks. And why would he mess with the Knicks? Because he is using he was using the Knicks as a tool to pressure the Lakers. And it is. And by the way, so was playing the 41 minutes and playing great and winning the game. It was all part of the same thing. Get uh, me look, help. Don't forget one more thing. If we are reading into all the LeBron tea leaves, which he does usually want you to read into. He did wear during the game uh, his sneakers that were in uh, brawny USC colorway, which, you know, Wendy and I, you and I have had this conversation that I said. We know Bronny's probably going to go pro after this year. 
And you know what? I don't know. If I were the Knicks and I have a million picks, I might look into maybe taking Bronny and seeing if LeBron would want to come join the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, which he was asked about the morning of the game. And he did say, you know what? At one point in my career, the thought crossed my mind about coming to Madison Square Garden in New York back in 2010. So can I can I just set the record straight about 2010 real quick? Because uh, you were in New York in 2010. So oh, was yeah. I. Yes. But LeBron was never going to the Knicks in 2010. No. I'm not saying that in 2008 or 2009 that he didn't entertain it. I remember right about the beginning of 2009-10 season is when Jay-Z's famous anthem about New York came out and LeBron would blast it at every opportunity. <laughs> By the way, Dan Wokia of the LA Times wrote in his story the other night that pregame LeBron's playlist in his um, you know, his Beats Pill or whatever he was playing was all New York theme songs. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he had this he had this all set up. But anyway, I'm not saying that he didn't like did consider it at one point, but when they got to the actual free agency, there was almost no information coming out from LeBron's camp as to what was going on. They fa- they kept it relatively tight. There was a, a few little leaks, but relatively tight up until the decision moment. But when the only piece of information that I kind of got out of LeBron camp this week, that week was, okay, but it ain't the Knicks. Like, I think the Knicks were, the maybe the, the Clippers kind of got a cursory interview, but I think the Knicks were crossed off yeah. very quickly. And so like, he, he, he may, you know, Later on, you know, give the narrative that he was like, oh, yeah, I seriously considered it. And I always wanted to play in New York. And I'm not saying that he couldn't somehow attest that being true. But I'm telling you, well, the Knicks were not first runner up, not second runner up. It is the longest troll ever. It is the longest troll ever. Because remember, the announcement came at like what a boys club in Connecticut. That's in like, Westchester. Boys and yeah, girls club at, in Westchester. That's what where was Donovan Mitchell was sitting there watching it in the in the crowd of kids yeah everybody thought like oh this has to be these coming i mean it's like now we're here 13 years later that's 13 why, years later we're that's the, why the, i knew because when it came out first off they wanted to keep it quiet but obviously they couldn't keep it quiet and it came out pretty quickly after they announced the decision was happening it was became public that it was going to be in connecticut okay and so people were like oh my god he's going to new york he's doing it basically you know, in the suburbs. And like, that was the thing that the LeBron operation, they were like, listen, we're not telling you anything, but it ain't going to be the Knicks. So like, I think the yeah. decision was on a Thursday. The Knicks were out on Monday. I'm telling you. The well, Knicks- the, the, the incredible thing about that week and about that summer, which for a lot, especially younger listeners who were not around to remember it at the time, it'd be if like 10 of the 24 All-Stars this year were all free agents in the same year, and like eight of them changed teams. I My Twitter profile picture is a picture from the Daily News. I was working at the Post at the time, but it was a picture of the Daily News of Amari Stoudemire walking down the street from Rock of Ages, which he was an executive producer of. <laughs> I was behind him trivia, talking to Happy Walters, his agent, and Amari walked to the corner of 41st and 8th Avenue, leaned up against a pole, gave an interview where he declared that Carmelo Anthony was signed by Denver at the time, was going to be on the Knicks, and Tony Parker was going to come she was. <laughs> but she eventually okay. did. One out of and, two. <laughs> and Tony Parker was going to come the next year, too. Oh, these guys are free agents in a year. They're going to come play with me on the Knicks. It's going to be the greatest thing of all time. <laughs> that was one of, like, 27 interviews like that across the country that week. It was absolutely unbelievable. Like, if that happened now, the whole world would shut down. Okay, so um, I'm doing first take on Friday and Stephen A is in a full lather about the Knicks. They had just won the night before Jalen Brunson had 40. He was introduced uh, as an all-star after the game. He gives the courtside interview with Alan Hahn. He starts tearing up. Knicks have won nine in a row. And there's like this, I'm not sure the origin of the concept that LeBron might come to the Knicks might even get traded to the Knicks in the next week. And Stephen A is in full. At one point, he's like, I can't sit anymore. I got to stand up. And like the the cameras and stuff were off on the first take studio because he wasn't sitting, he was standing up. Like he is, he could he couldn't even be contained. He was so excited. So Rich Paul was in New York. Rich Paul also, as it comes out later, had a meeting that day with Leon Rose, who was his former business partner at CAA. And I am not sure that they had spoken formally 
or even informally in a decade. But they certainly had not had any sort of meeting since Leon Rose or a phone call since Leon Rose was the name, the president of the Knicks. Rich was in New York. Maverick Carter was in New York. These guys, Rich hasn't been to a Knicks game literally in years. There's been this sort of ice between them. So Rich knows he's having a meeting with Leon Rose on Friday. Stephen A is losing his mind. There's LeBron's, you know, not saying anything about the emoji. Everything's crazy. And Rich is like, look, my phone lights up. Rich is watching for, I think, I don't know if he was watching first take. I, I think, I think he was watching first take and he's like, okay, LeBron's not getting traded. We're not asking for a trade. Let's just end that right now. So, okay. That story comes out. And I don't know exactly why he wanted to go on the record with that, but I speculate that he knew that the meeting with Leon Rose was going to get public, which it did later in the day. And I do think he wanted to control a little bit of. Well, there, there was, and I, I don't know if this is connected. Okay. But I think around that same time, uh, that was February 1st, right, Wendy? There was a tweet that kind of came out that said this guy, who actually is a sideline reporter for the Clippers when they are on KTLA. Yeah, David David Pingalore. David Pingalore had tweeted that King James is the top of the Lakers list to to trade the 39-year-old. And Palenka is looking for the right team to dance with and is close to a suitor. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are both out tonight. So I think that kind of started that's right I, the, I forgot the about that <laughs> so many things have happened in the last four days i forgot about it's, that it's, that's right it's been a it's been a weekend in the nba yeah. even by nba standards okay so rich just wanted to get that and so you so now you may ask well what were they talking about what was going on in this meeting between rich paul the ceo of clutch and the president of the knicks uh i don't know for sure okay um but i will say that it just makes one thing I've said about Rich Paul ever since he's been an agent, which is now 15 years, no matter what anybody wants to say about him. And you guys have heard me say this. If you listen to the podcast, we've had him on the podcast. Rich Paul is about business. Number one, one, 100%. two, and three. He is a yeah. full, you know, people want to claim that he doesn't have the savviness of the back. That's all over. Now he's one of the most successful agents in all the world of sports, all the sports. But when he was first coming out, people wanted to, you know, portray him as being less than, you know, and everything. He was as as business oriented and, you know, not holding a grudge, not holding a bias, taking care of his clients first since day one. And frankly, with where the Knicks are, Clutch has a lot of clients and the Knicks are going to be a very attractive place going forward. If anything, in my view, not having been at the meeting, I would say it's actually kind of a good sign for the Knicks because to me, it's an indication that Clutch and Clutch clutch athletes, they, the Knicks have to be an option going forward. And so it's almost like whatever hatchet they may have buried, it was almost like, okay, the Knicks need clutch clients eventually, whoever it is, doesn't have to be LeBron. Clutch is eventually his clients are going to want to play in New York because somebody's going to want to play in New York. Somebody is going to look at Jalen Brunson and be like, you know, that's not, that wasn't the worst decision in the world. But getting back to LeBron, I think this is a playbook he's gone to many times. He wants the Lakers to, 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 to be willing to throw it all in to maximize this season. And he's taking that position in a week where they win in Boston and they win in New York. Even with the injuries to the Knicks, they'd still won nine games in a row. And that's what LeBron's going to do. And he's going to play around. I don't think he has any intention of leaving the Lakers, but I do think he does not suffer or have his position hurt by leaving his future up in the air. I think that benefits. As you and I, you and I have talked about off the pod, and Ohm will remember this too. Somebody from the 2018 Cavs was at the arena on Saturday night, and I saw them as LeBron was warming up at the other end, and said, "You, this remind you at all of six years ago this week?" And they started laughing because, for anybody who doesn't remember, that was when the night before the trade deadline, LeBron hits the game winner, and there's the all-time iconic shot of LeBron celebrating and Isaiah Thomas like trying to jump up and celebrate with his teammate and being basically given the Heisman shove away <laughs> and all, all but actually happening. And what was the most obvious sign ever that after a month of pleading with the Cavs to make moves, the Cavs are going to be making moves. And within the next yeah, they, 24 hours, they, they had already told them before the game, they had an Isaiah Thomas done, a yes. trade done. Yes. He, he, Isaiah didn't know. Poor Isaiah didn't know. LeBron knew he was already. Yes. He was already after in, weeks, yeah. after a similar series of weeks of, Right. Making all sorts of statements and, you know, 
doing all sorts of protesting and pushing and begging for the Cavs to add to the roster and give them a chance to make a run. And then eventually the Cavs relented and did so. And they didn't win the title, but they got back to the finals again and had, you know, LeBron, in my opinion, that was one of LeBron's greatest moments was that the way he went through those playoffs. It was actually, yeah, I mean, look, look, this yeah, is, ahead, this on. is the annual right that Rob Palinka has to go through, which is <laughs> yep. before the trade deadline, Rob Palinka is going to feel the heat, not, not just from Laker fans, not just from critics. He's going to feel the heat from LeBron James yeah. that his window is closing and they have to do whatever they can to basically stay in contention. And so Rob Palenka, I mean, he's got, a, you know, an unenviable task here because you wonder what he's going to do with D'Angelo Russell, who has been playing well. Uh, they just lost Vando. It looks like it's going to be for a minute, uh, for a while. And so yeah, Jared he, Vanderbilt had a foot injury this last week. Yeah. So he's going to have to figure out how to improve this team, keep LeBron happy. I mean, LeBron's got what a 50, 51 million dollar yeah, player let, option. Let right? me just say something real quick. Like, I think one of the reasons why the Lakers are, I don't, first off, I don't think they like any of the trades. I, they're not trying to trade for prime Michael Jordan. I don't think that there's a player there that they're like, okay, let's go all in for. And so they're, I, you know, I, I think they're willing to give that first round pick that they have, but I don't know if they're willing to give it unprotected or lightly protected. I don't know if they're willing to give a 2028 pick swap or a 2030 pick swap. I'm not sure they're willing to, you know, try to find a third team to take on players so that they get expiring contracts so the team doesn't have to take on money. I'm not sure they want to go that extra mile because I think they also kind of think that the team they have has the potential to be as good as the team they could have on the other side of a trade. LeBron obviously could give bleeps about a 2030 pick swap. And the Cavs were in the same boat in 2018. They weren't sure he was going to stay. Now, LeBron could pick up his option at any moment. He could take away any miss, you know, any uh, doubt, pick up that option. But if LeBron doesn't pick up that option, he hands away leverage. He and does not, pick it up. You mean if he? I'm, I'm sorry. If he if he picks it up, he right. uh, hands away leverage. Um, even forget about it, even if the Lakers like get to the conference finals again or whatever they duplicate what they did last year, which was doing him as a successful season. LeBron's option pickup date is three days after the draft. Like <laughs> with Brody in the draft, he can hold that option all the way to the end. And also even again, even if things were going great, even if, even if the Lakers were in first place and LeBron was happy as a clam and whistling on his way to work every day, the Lakers aren't allowed to extend his contract right now. They can't extend his contract until uh, July 6th. So they can't like even come to the table. Like, like LeBron holds all the cards. And so naturally, because LeBron is openly making it clear he's not committing to that option, that affects the way the Lakers are going to do business. So I think that's, you know, that's all, all that's happening right now. And it's fascinating because really Rob Palenka is having bilateral negotiations. LeBron is in a negotiation with the Lakers and the Lakers are in negotiation with LeBron and the Lakers are in negotiation with teams with trades. The only pushback I would say to anything you said there is, do we think the Lakers really think they're good enough right now? Or do we think that what it really is, is that with the limited assets they have and the limited amount of flexibility they have, where they could maybe have three first round picks, say in June to trade instead of one now, is there anything, even if they do trade that pick, is it not that they're not going to get better now, but that they're not going to get better enough? That was poorly, poorly phrased. Yeah. Well, I to think really get to where they want to go anyway. I don't know if there's an answer there because you look at the Lakers resume and you look at the way they played the in-season tournament. You look at how they beat the Thunder. Now they are a good matchup for the Thunder right. because of their size. They beat the Thunder twice. They beat the Clippers like what about two weeks ago, Ohm? Mm -hmm. Like when yeah. the Clippers were smoking hot, they beat the Clippers. They lost to them again. They beat them twice. They beat them twice. Yeah. They go into Boston and win, but they can lose to anybody. So like I don't but I don't know it, if they know. It still hurts them that one, I think the in-season tournament hurt them because I get it. They wanted to win it. LeBron wanted to win the first one, but I think he oh, just expended way too much. He expended on, way home. too much gas in the come tank, on. man. Like, come like on. I, I think he did not need to go that hard in November and December. Yeah, okay? and I think that affected him for the rest of December, but it's now been a while. He, he's also yeah. played really well and played almost every game, and they're a 500 team. It's not like he got hurt. I mean, I, this I, is this look, is ridiculous I also, Laker I, propaganda. I, I, I also think. I also think that. For better or worse, last year's run, that turnaround and getting all the way to the Western Conference Finals has the Lakers and their 
fans believing that they can do it again. So they they see the same core. I would argue, though, we saw what happened to D'Angelo Russell in the Western Conference Finals. So I would argue that I do think you kind of need to make a move as good as Russell's been playing because I don't necessarily trust that Russell's going to come through again if you are playing the Clippers or the Nuggets in a seven-game series in the playoffs. And maybe LeBron James might feel that way. I don't know. But LeBron certainly got there and got swept as hard as he played at the end there. So I don't think anything- as we say on the pod, almost the greatest sweep in the history of humankind. I don't Rod's think you brew. can trust. I don't think you can trust anything with the Lakers this season. I think that's one of the big challenges. All right. Thanks so for like, like uh, watching. Yeah. I would just say one thing. Like if you are the Lakers and DeJounte Murray is available, I don't know. I mean, that's, that may be where LeBron James wants the upgrade. Well, it's of course what he wants. He wants it all. That's one of the LeBron's most important traits. More hoop collective podcast after this. All right, we had some significant injury news over the weekend. Zach Levine, who's been fighting through a foot injury throughout the season for the Bulls, come you know he missed I think 17 games at one point, came back, played a little while, was in and out. All of a sudden, the Bulls announced over the weekend that not only is he having foot problems again, uh, but he is having surgery and he's done for the season, four to six month recovery process. Okay, so this is obviously a major injury now that he has now got to recover from. He's already been dealing with knee problems that have been, that have affected him for the last couple of years. Now he's got this foot problem. Obviously he is not getting traded by Thursday's deadline. He had asked for a trade several months ago. There was never any traction anywhere. You can forget that. And quite frankly, I think you can forget a trade anytime in the foreseeable future with Zach Levine, because it was borderline whether the bulls needed to incentivize you know, add something to a trade to get somebody to take that contract before he had a serious foot injury that's knocking him out for half a year. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. And so now the question becomes, where do the Bulls go from here? I don't actually think it affects their current situation that much because they played almost better this year without Zach Levine. But the question, Bontemps, is now that they know this, um, yeah, Jackson tells us Bulls 10 and 15 with Zach in the lineup, 13 and 12 without. So basically, they're the, they're the Lakers without Zach Levine. That was for you, Bontemps. So Bontemps, now they're in this situation where uh, now you know they knew Zach was struggling. Now they know what's going to happen. And will they change course by Thursday? They've got DeMar DeRozan, free agent to be. People have been waiting for him to be on the trade block all year. They've got Alex Caruso, who has a year left on his contract, but is a hot, would be one of the highly most highly desired players in the trade market if they made him available. Where do the Bulls go from here? Well, I'm looking at the standings right now. And as of Sunday evening, the Bulls are a half game up on 10th place in the Eastern Conference standings. They're two games ahead of the Brooklyn Nets, who are in 11th place in the Eastern Conference standings. And I suspect the Bulls are going to be trying to be in the top 10 in the East. And I don't think they're going to do a lot between now and the deadline. And I think that would be a gigantic mistake because they're not going anywhere with this team. They've been stuck in neutral for years now. And like you said, Alex Caruso, I mean, DeMar is a bit of an interesting case. I think if he was on the block, there would be interest in him. I'm not sure how extensive the interest would be. There's a lot of complicating factors there. You are giving up something significant for him. Are you going to then be able to re-sign him? He also, frankly, has started to take a bit of a step back overall. He's still a good player, but... I'm not sure I'm going to want to pay him what he's going to be interested in getting paid. He also has some defensive issues that could be a problem in the playoffs. But he would be a guy who teams, there would be interest in him. And certainly Caruso would be a massively valued player at a sub $10 million contract, a terrific defensive player, can hit spot up three pointers, can make plays in transition, is just a winning player and makes more sense being on a competitive contending level team than on the Bulls who are trying to make the make it out of the plane. But I would say as of now, they're probably going to stand pat and try to get the eighth or ninth seat and get the eighth seed in the East because that's more or less what the Bulls have tried to do. And I, if they, uh, if they're, if we're sitting here on the pod on Friday talking about Alex Caruso and DeMar DeRozan and Andre Drummond, who I think would have interest uh, from teams as a, a he's pretty, having a really good year. Andre he's, Drummond, been, yeah. he's a really productive center on a cheap contract. 
Like there, there are teams who'd be interested in going to get oh, him yes. as he became available. Oh yes. So like they could get a bunch of stuff for these guys and start to turn things around. And by the way, Kobe White averaged twenty two five and five in January and is looking like a guy who can be a really solid long term piece for them. Like they've got some younger stuff that they could start putting out there to showcase going forward and say, hey, look at these guys instead. But I, I just don't think based off their history. The Bulls are going to do that, and I think that'll be a real mistake. I, I agree that it would be a mistake. I mean, if you're the Bulls, why are you trying to make the playoffs at the eighth seed or even the play-in? Money. Look, you got, you, I mean, Money. I mean, fill look, up the United got, Center for a couple games. Are they? I mean, I don't know if they're selling how much, how many sellouts they're still getting, but like they, they still got Lonzo Ball. They're getting a lot. They have of to worry about Chicago's a great basketball town. They, yeah, there's I one mean, team there, and they they fill up that place with twenty thousand fans. And if they get a couple playoff games, that's a lot of money in the coffers. Yeah, I mean, they still have to worry about Lonzo Ball. Now you got to worry about Zach Levine's health moving forward in the future. And so, why not go and get as many assets as you can get? I get it. Maybe, you know, that coaching staff wants to win now, and I'm sure ownership wants to, as you like you said, fill in the seats, but. I don't know, man. At some point, you got to start thinking about the future and trying to, you know, get as many assets as you can. Well, the intel in the league right now is exactly what Bontemps is saying, is that that despite the Levine injury, that the Bulls are not actively, you know, looking to trade those guys. Now, we're in the time of year where someone who reports talks about something like that. You've always got to qualify it because... A year ago on Sunday of the trade deadline, I would have not said that um, Kevin Durant was going to be a son in three days. So just with that, but, but um, there is, there is not an expectation that DeRozan is going to get traded. And I have heard 0.0 on Caruso. The bull, one of the reasons why the bull, well, you know, the bulls have rallied because they've gotten some good play from some of their guys, especially Kobe white, but they've also benefited from the fact that the teams behind them are wretched like the teams that they're ahead of in the east are detroit washington you know toronto charlotte brooklyn who's been a huge disappointment in the atlanta who's been a huge disappointment and is all and is now basically caught up to them frankly atlanta has no business being behind chicago and should pass them and actually atlanta that's one thing that we've talked about Dejounte murray no one's talking about the hawks have actually strung together a decent stretch of games here. They're not blowing people away, but they pulled off some wins. They beat the Warriors on um, Saturday night. And I mean, Clint Capella Suns the game before them. that too. Yeah, Clint Capella. Yeah. yeah, they just beat the Suns. Clint Capella uh, is out seven to ten days, I think, with an adductor. But uh, um, Dejounte Murray's had a number of clutch four wins in a row for the Hawks. By the way, Lakers, yeah. Suns, Warriors, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. And, and, yeah, they got the Clippers. Clippers nice. on a back to back on Monday. Right. And so they've uh, they won six of the last 10, which means that they have made up ground on pretty much everybody in the East, with the exception of the uh, Celtics, Cavs and Knicks. They've made up ground on all kinds of teams. So anyway, I'm not sure that the Hawks are like as gung ho on breaking their team up as people want to make the assumption that they did, especially the way, the way they're playing. But well, anyway, those are the two teams to watch this week, Chicago, depending on what they try to do, and Atlanta, depending on what they do, because like well, I think those there's. Two- yeah. If those two teams end up deciding to stand pat for the most part, there might not be much going on. I think Atlanta, absolutely, because I think DeJounte Murray is, as of right now, the most interesting player who's available. I don't think Chicago's going to do anything. I think Charlotte, there's some interesting things there. They have Miles Bridges. Does he get traded to a contender? He has tr- tr- uh, veto power, but his salary is relatively low. So does he get traded to a contender? And there's obviously baggage that comes along with trading for him, but that's one thing. You've got Gordon Hayward. I don't think Gordon Hayward will get traded, but he could get bought out. And then you've got Kyle Lowry, who's still sitting there, who could get rerouted somewhere, or he could get bought out. So I think Atlanta and Charlotte are two teams to watch. Chicago sort of secondarily. I also think Brooklyn. Brooklyn, when you talk to teams who have dealt with Brooklyn, it seems like they're it could go either way. Like there's some there's some there's some teams that are interested in trading for Nick Claxton, and then you have other times like, ah, oh, they're never trading Nick Claxton. They're going to resign him. There are teams that are interested in potentially trading for Royce O'Neal, and you've got people saying they're not going to trade Royce O'Neal because they're eventually trying to get Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell and Royce O'Neal are super close, so they're not trading Royce O'Neal. But then again, other people are like, yeah, they're going to trade Royce O'Neal. 
Some people are saying they might entertain trading Dorian Finney-Smith. And then other people think that they could still be a bidder for DeJounte Murray. Like they've definitely talked to Hawks about DeJounte Murray. So maybe the Nets don't do anything either, but they are a swing team. So those are the teams all in the Eastern Conference. But again, getting back to where the Bulls are, they're, they're ahead of, of Drek and, they're, and, the, and the Hawks are on their heels. But I will say this, Zach Levine now with two significant injuries after signing the Max and Lonzo Ball with even the Lonzo Ball is beginning to do some stuff. These are two of their three highest paid players that they kind of structured this, this whole runaround and they have now suffered, catas- in the case of Lonzo, catastrophic. In the case of Zach, multiple season altering significant injuries. So you can say whatever you want about it. That's just plum bad luck. Uh, to Bontem's points, Jackson points out Chicago is currently tops in attendance in terms of average fans at a game and lead the league each of the last two well, seasons. You know, the United category. Center is the biggest arena in the league and has been yeah. for decades. So I wasn't making any kind of grand pronouncement there with that one. Like the, 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 the Bulls have operated in a certain fashion for a long time. You know, the Bulls make a ton of money a ton of money. It doesn't always show the way they operate, but obviously the Warriors take in the, like the Warriors and Lakers and Knicks take in probably more money than the Bulls do, but they spend it a lot more aggressively when it comes to net profits. The well, Chicago listen, there's a lot of the Bulls and the Lakers have a lot of similarities in how they're run and, and how they, they operate because they're both family owned teams and even though they're cash cows, they're cash cows for family-owned teams. And it's a lot different for those teams than it is for the Clippers and Warriors. And yeah, it's but at least, not a coincidence. At least with, that's how they operate. At least with the Lakers, I feel like I have a shot to do something. I don't feel like I have a shot well, with the Bulls. Some of, the Bulls well, fan. listen, the Lakers didn't deserve to have LeBron James sign with their team in 2018. He signed with them because they're located in Los Angeles and they're the Lakers, Right. Like, it's not like the Lakers did anything to open the door. Like, oh, man, well, we've really would been argue, run the team great. They would argue that they've treated and cultivated stars for decades. That's fine. The team had been an abject disaster for yes, several te- years in the a team row. As it existed. Yes, the team as it existed. But not, not the franchise. My point is just that there's a, one very significant difference between the, the Bulls and the Lakers, which is that the Lakers are located in Los Angeles and the Bulls are not. That's all. <laughs> That's I'm not. I'm not. Obviously, the Lakers have a very long history of treating stars well, but they were the worst team in the league, I think, by record the five years before LeBron showed up. They missed the playoffs six consecutive years. I yes. think. Like, like that's that. that's all my point is. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Hey, Om, you just got back from the road. You were on. This is historic. Something historic in the NBA happened this week. Bontemps, do you know what it is? Ohm was involved with it. Do you know what it is? I should say last week. I don't, actually. The final Clippers Grammy road trip in history. Oh, of course. Every late January and February, the Lakers. In fact, as I'm sitting here recording this, the Grammys are going on across the street right now, Crypto.com Arena. It is all of the streets around this hotel are packed with giant SUVs waiting to pick people up. Like it's just like round and around every street corner. They're tearing down right now. I look out my window. They're tearing down the red uh, carpet, even though the show's still going on. They're already starting to turn the red carpet. It's got to get ready for the toilet bowl next year. Got to get to the (laughs) toilet bowl down in Inglewood. I mean, Bontas, why do you think Wendy's wearing black? He's getting ready to go to Hove's after party after this. (laughs) Naturally. Naturally. Yes. Naturally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so uh, the Grammys knock the Lakers and Clippers out of the arena, but no more. No more seven or eight no game road more. trip. Uh, but anyway, Ulm, the Clippers did okay on it. You were on most of it. Um, they get a win in Miami in the uh, second to last game of it on Sunday. They finish, as you mentioned a minute ago, at Atlanta. And, you know, continue to impress, especially with that victory in uh, in Boston, which I think you were at. Yeah, I think that was probably their most uh, dominant performance. I think they've they've gone now like at some like an incredible 30 and 8 since they had a six game losing streak right after they got James Harden. And but I will say this, I mean, unbelievably, they haven't played complete many complete games during that stretch. They've won a lot with their offense. Defensively, they've kind of struggled at times and 
they've gotten off to bad starts or they've lost leads and they found ways to kind of just handle their business in fourth quarters. I think even Kawhi said the other night that things need to improve between the ears mentally. They got to play better defensively. And so I think they, they haven't played their best outside of Boston, but yet they keep winning games. And that's been impressive. And I'll be really interested to see if they're going to make a move you know, at the trade down line, because the Clippers are always aggressive. They have an aggressive owner. They have aggressive management. I'm not saying they're going to make a massive move, but they did just get Ivica Zubats back against Miami. And so now they have three bigs. And of course, they do have PJ Tucker, who wants to be traded. He's made no secret about that. He even told me that just last week in Toronto. I think his words were actively looking to get traded. And then, of course, they have Bones Highland and they have some picks they could deal to maybe try to make another upgrade somehow to this team. But I don't think they're going to do anything that's going to shake the foundation or anything like that. No, that was the move they made back in November when they finally got James Harden, right? But the Clippers have been awfully impressive the past several weeks. I mean, you've, you've been around them all the time and, you know, you've done a great job of laying out why this team has taken these big steps forward. The biggest thing though, is that Kawhi Leonard looks like Kawhi Leonard again. And when they are in that game in Boston and they're smoking the Celtics, I mean, for one thing, they're the single best matchup to go up against the Celtics of any team in the league because of all the wings they've got. And it's a reminder, Kawhi has missed so much time with injuries, but Kawhi Leonard versus Jason Tatum, Kawhi Leonard's better. And Kawhi Leonard's better than just about anybody you're going up against one-on-one in that matchup. And when you're going in a series... And you can make an argument, you got the best guy on the court in virtually any matchup. It's just such a massive advantage going into the series. They've, and they've got a coach that's won a title. They've got a versatile team that can play a lot of ways. I agree with you completely that they're a team to watch in terms of trying to make some move to make this team a little better because they're always trying to. But if you're a Clipper fan, there's obviously you're always ready for the other shoe to drop with this franchise, yeah. as we all know. But sitting here right now, if you're looking at teams in the West and saying that's the team I think's got the best chance to beat Denver, despite their history against Denver, I'm still probably taking the Clippers second after everybody else in the field. Because if if Kawhi is healthy and PG's healthy, their ceiling is just so so high because of all the different ways they can play. Look, I, yes. I know you you obviously do the straw poll, Bontemps, and a lot of people will say, oh, you know, look what Doncic has done, look what Shea Gilgis Alexander has done. Obviously, Joel Embiid's not going to play enough games to get it, and obviously you have Joker, but Kawhi Leonard deserves, he's going to deserve, you know, he's going to be deserve MVP talk here in consideration because he may not be putting up the same eye-popping numbers to say Shea or Doncic, but he's getting double teamed a lot. And the thing is now he's got James Harden and Paul George and Norm Powell's playing terrific. And these guys now, when you watch the Clippers every night, their recognition of double teams is terrific. I mean, their ability now to figure out I think today I saw it against Miami. Miami was sending double teams at Kawhi Leonard. They were figuring, and Paul George, they were figuring out where to find the opening and the defense. And now they're doing that on a nightly basis. Kawhi Leonard's impact. Wendy and I saw this last year in the playoffs in the first round against Phoenix, those first two games. Wendy and I were sitting next to each other and we were just like, holy cow, if, if Kawhi Leonard keeps playing like this, they have a chance to win this series without Paul George. He's playing at, just under that level. And the only only reason why I say it's just under that level is because I think playoff Kawhi is another level. So, yep. but right now, this is the best I've ever seen him in the regular season. And I think he, when he gets to the playoffs, he's playing healthy like this. This It's going to be hard to beat them. The one thing is, can they stop Nikola Jokic? That's all. That's, that's going to be their big concern. They have enough bigs now, but maybe they say, you know what? Maybe we do need a defensive stopper inside. And if they can get another one, maybe they try to do that. By the way, when you watch a game with Ulm, especially at an NBA game. I know game, what you're going to say. <laughs> there's two things Ulm is known for. One, if you're watching this, you can see behind him, which is his shoe being a connoisseur of, of shoes. The second thing is the man, he loves his beverages. And I don't mean adult beverages. He's a he's an expert <laughs> in, in beverages. And when you are at a game with Ulm, like he will have three or four cups of things with him that he has at all times. So he'll have, he's a big fan of Dunkin' Donuts. And we're talking cups like this big. I, I, yeah, have, but, I have to have, I have to have a nice coffee to keep me. Oh, like, it's a nice coffee. Know, yeah. Caffeinated, but here's the thing, but, like he'll get a big one, but he won't, he'll get like a 
how big is the big one that you get from Dunkin' Donuts? I'm trying to get you. It'll be like a 32 ounce, probably. Okay, but you will only drink like maybe five ounces. I feel like. I you mean, just like yeah, to have. I, big I, one nurse, I nurse it as the day yes. goes on. Yeah. Okay, he'll nurse that. Then he'll have like a, a, a sports drink. But yeah, I like vitamin water or something like that. Right. He'll also want to have a, a cup of ice because he wants to always have it chilled. So yes. we'll have yes. that. And then I'll have the sports drink. And sometimes I'll have water. It's always amazing. It is the an about, amazing scene. It's an amazing The thing scene. about the Clippers is, you know, we talk all the time about how the Lakers have one first round pick to trade. So do the Clippers. Now, it's not as focused on because the Clippers just made this hardened trade where they used the first round pick in that deal. So it, you know, it's not like they've been holding on to it, but the question has been, would they use that last pick? Would they take PJ Tucker who wants to get traded, attach that first round pick to him and then go out there and try to get one more piece. I can kind of, the feeling in the league is that they, maybe they would under the right circumstances, but they're going to be selective if they do that. So that's one thing to look, it wouldn't surprise me if they do a deal, but it would kind of surprise me if they included that pick, unless it was just like, a supreme piece that fit beautifully. Um, like, I mean, look, they could probably use a traditional power forward because they're playing Kawhi Leonard or Paul George sometimes at that power forward position when they go small. Yeah, because they traded power forwards for James Harden. You know, yeah. So they 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 certainly could use a glue guy that is a two way power forward wing. Type I mean, that's supposed to be PJ Tucker, but he's not playing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I have said many times that I, I almost regard the play of Kawhi Leonard this season as the biggest story in the NBA, the most relevant story to the chase of the championship, which we sometimes lose focus on is how well Kawhi is playing. And I would argue that one of the top 10 stories in the league is the contract that the Clippers got Kawhi to sign, which was less than the max years, less than the max money. It is still for a ton of money. It is still for $50 million a year over three years but they got him to sign for less years and they actually got him to take a pay cut. And um, Mc, uh, McMahon, Von Temps, you uh, and Bobby Marks had a story run this week, or it's going to run this week about how the new CBA is already forcing some different things. And this is one of the things that it's, that it's forced is this being careful with, with uh, spending on, on super high salary players. And it played a role in the way the Clippers negotiated with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I mean, like we've talked about before, I don't know if I would quite say the Kawhi situation quite plays into the same dynamics as that because there are, as we all know, so many intricacies of the Kawhi Clipper dynamic and partially the fact that, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier with LeBron, nobody's really thinking Kawhi's going anywhere. So there's at least some, it's a little hard for him to negotiate, like I'm going to go play in New York or Philly or somewhere based off how true, but gone. he could have but, waited until the summer and rattled the saber. Right. He, but, but all, all that being said, the, 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 the biggest thing that I think we've seen so far is that is what you just said. In general, we have seen teams already being a lot more judicious in the decisions they're making as far as outlaying future salary, because they're thinking about the second apron and the draft picks being frozen, and the inability to be flexible and make moves. And if you're going to go into that stratosphere, you got to be damn sure it's the right move to make. And I think we saw that in particular with the way the Zach Levine trade market played out. And I know we talked about Zach earlier. Obviously, he's now hurt. But a big part of why there wasn't a lot of teams interested in his services is not that teams were not interested in Zach the player. It's that He's owed $130 million the next three years. And if you aren't 100% sold, he's your third guy. All of a sudden, you look at the situation the Phoenix Suns are in, where you've got Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and Devin Booker, and now they can't do anything with their team. They've got a bunch of minimum players and those three guys, and that's what they've got. And there's no real way for them to add to their roster going forward. They have no no optionality with players or salaries. You can't stack players up. The Clippers, we just talked about now, they couldn't make the James Harden trade they made earlier this year next year because they couldn't add salaries together to trade for James Harden. It's another reason why the Clippers might make a trade this week, get another guy in there now while they still have the ability to trade for a player, making more money than the guy they're sending out or the guys are sending out. So all these things are stacked onto themselves and it's giving the NBA the situation it wants which is a leveling of the playing field from a financial standpoint and given more teams, at least in theory, 
a chance to compete. And we'll see how that plays out over the next several years. And if it really works out that way, or if it's like the last couple of CBAs where there's all sorts of unintended consequences that come up that cause things to go haywire. But at least in the first six months of it, this thing is working, I think, just as the league intended. And some of these higher profile guys having trouble getting moved. It's a pretty significant part of why that's been the case. I, I also will be interested on if slash when Paul George signs his extension, which it sounds like that's going to happen at some point, how that is contract is structured. And, you know, because Paul is younger and has been healthier than, uh, than Kawhi, but he doesn't want to leave LA either. Yeah. And he sounded like uh, after Kawhi signed and Kawhi said that he kind of did it because he wanted to keep the core of Harden and Paul together. Paul kind of didn't make it sound like they were super close to getting a deal done for him. Although he did say he was optimistic and wanted to remain with the Clippers. He also didn't, he didn't make it sound like they were. No, well, obviously they're not. He didn't have a pen. (laughs) Obviously they're not close because it's been weeks and there's no deal. I do think there has been intent on both sides to find a deal, but there's going to be some negotiation here. You know, there was obviously negotiation with Kawhi. So by the way, um, you have a story coming out this week. I don't want to give it away just yet, but um, it's it's one of the more fascinating stories that I think we've maybe had this year. And just in case PJ Tucker does get traded again before Thursday, you talked to PJ and the Clippers about what happens when a guy who has a thousand pairs of shoes like PJ does, he's famous for, for his um, eccentric shoe collection. What happens when he gets traded? And you looked into that from when he got traded from Philly back in November to uh, LA. Yeah. So the story is about like what, what people don't understand or know about when players get traded mid season, have to uproot their life. Uh, PJ has been traded mid season a couple times. Now this, this last one was in November, but what happens when the sneak part of the story is what happens when the sneaker king gets traded? What happens to all his sneakers? And something that's very interesting is that whenever a player gets traded, the equipment managers for the new team and the old team kind of huddle up and send basically the shoes that players wear in games that they store at an arena to the next arena. In PJ Tucker's case, I, I guess like the clip I talked to Max Reza, who's a Clippers. Um, head equipment guy, and he basically was saying that the average player might have 10 to 20 shoes. Like Bones Highland was traded last year. I think he had like 10 I, shoes. At one come time. From Denver. Yeah, like, like they get more in as the season. Yeah, yeah. Long. But like in, in the arena, you might have 10 to 20 pairs of shoes that you know you have ready to wear or whatever. PJ Tucker has 250 shoes, and we're only talking about the shoes that he wears in games. I'm not talking about the shoes that he wears two games that he wears when he walks out with his outfits and things like that. Those are at, I would say his stockpile is divided between two homes in Houston and Philadelphia. And and that PJ Tucker will have to move himself. He's not going to move all of them. It's impossible. Steven Jackson, according to him, say he had a, had a house in Texas that basically he just used for shoes. Like he didn't live there. He some sold it, but he told me, but I think he kind of was famous for having a shoe house. Yeah, so PJ said, like, so the teams, the Clippers and Sixers got together and they, the Sixers actually bought the biggest, 12 of the biggest boxes you can imagine. I think they're probably after taller than an average human being, probably, and stacked all of his shoes that were in Wells Fargo Center or at the practice facility into these boxes, not in, not in their own shoe boxes, just shoes on top of shoes, and then sent them, and they got to L.A. probably about two days after he made it. But what they did do was PJ has two luggage cases, I think. One of them, each one can fit about 16 pairs of shoes. I've actually seen them. They sent at least one of those luggage cases on the private jet with James Harden and PJ Tucker so that when they arrived to L.A., he had 16 shoes to pick from. And now, though, uh, you know, since they had they got 250 pairs of shoes, the Clippers had to figure out, you know, they had to store it basically in this garage at their facility, I guess. And so basically now you, you imagine like if you go to Costco and you see these giant shelves, right, of product, well, Picture P.J. Tucker's shoes on all these things divided up by like Kevin Durant's, Kobe's, uh, Travis Scott's, you know, certain P.E.'s, whatever it may be. They One of the managers had to use basically an app 
to figure out what each shoe was, but he has so many exclusives that they're not really on an app. So they just basically sometimes define them by a certain colorway and what they what they know, what type of shoe it is. And then PJ can pick from these. And I would say by comparison, the other Clippers, probably the next Clipper to have the most shoes would be Kawhi Leonard, who probably has enough to fill one of his own. But but PJ has like four stacks of them. <laughs> PJ shoe collection is almost as good as Ohm's. And this doesn't include the shoes that he has at home. And so, like, he has a manager who will go over to his house, FaceTime him, and then PJ will say, oh, man, I forgot about those shoes. Send that to me and bring that to me and bring that to me. And he said, like, recently he had, like, I think 10 pairs of Kobe's brought to him by his manager from one of his homes. He has a shoe manager. Well, no, I think it's just his manager who probably handles no, I know. his uh, stuff. Right, yeah. right, right. I got it. I'm just saying it's... His it's shoe amazing. collection is legendary. Yeah. And yeah, so if PJ, I, if PJ gets traded again before Thursday, these shoes will be on the move and the Clippers will then work with the said, next team to move 250 pairs of shoes. It's the don't throw away the boxes. <laughs> hey, keep those boxes <laughs> here. <laughs> you may need them again. Yeah. I mean, I think when you are uh, when you are a professional athlete catered at that level, you don't worry about the logistics. You just, you know, the shoes will get to your feet. But I always love how... Players, when they do the the you know the the red carpet walk, the the runway, where they come in at the beginning of the game and they are photographed in whatever outfit that they're wearing, PJ comes in and he's wearing like some special shoes on his feet for his arrival, and then he, um, doesn't he like a lot of times also hold in his hands the <laughs> shoes he's wearing that night to like display yeah. and let everybody know what's coming. Yeah, sometimes. Um, I mean, it's not like James Harden in Toronto the other day who had a glass suitcase, a see-through suitcase. It looked like something out of James Bond, man. And you could see two of his shoes. And then in the middle was a bottle of James's wine. I guess he has his own wine now. And so the bottle was in the suitcase with his two shoes, two Adidas shoes on the side. And it was incredible. I, I, I can't even imagine how much you would pay just for the suitcase alone. He brought it in. With him? Yeah, he was carrying this see-through glass suitcase into right. the arena, and his wine was right in the middle. I took a shot right. of it and shared it on... Uh, well, that's what he on... wanted. He was looking for the wine uh, to be to be featured. Yeah. I'm not sure that a glass suitcase is... I don't know. It was like... Pla- a, I mean, that's not a, glass. Maybe it's a see-through I, plastic or whatever yeah, it was. I was just saying, but... I'm not sure that, you know, it's the most efficient and prudent way to, you know, carry your things in a glass, in a glass suitcase, but... Uh, Teach his own. All right. Um, thank you for uh, checking us out here at the Hoop Collective. Thanks for watching on ESPN2. Thanks always for listening to us as well. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to Ohm. Thank you to our producers, Andrea and our man, Jackson. And we will be talking to you later this week. <laughs>